listening to the Rainmaking Podcast. Hosted by high-stakes headhunter, author, and professional speaker, Scott Love. You're listening to the Rainmaking Podcast, and my name is Scott Love, your host. Thanks for joining me on the show. I'm glad that you're with us, and thanks for making this a top 3% podcast. One thing I'd recommend, if you've got some time, is scroll through the previous episodes. We started this about two years ago. This was my pandemic project. Some people got a pandemic puppy. I had a pandemic project, and we're going to stick with it, and I really appreciate you being part of this journey. My goal is to help give you ideas that can help you grow your practice, grow your business, business and your sales. If you're in an organization that has a marketing department, then you're really going to appreciate this particular episode because there could be some unharvested opportunities that are easily within your reach that this expert today will give you ideas on how you can really capitalize and really fully utilize that marketing department. And our guest is Jen Johnson. I've known Jen for several years. She's a good friend and she's a highly credentialed expert in the area of recruiting. She owns a company called Calibrate Legal, which is one of the leading recruiting firms that recruits what she calls revenue enablers. Those are the people that help law firm attorneys get more business. She's got some great ideas in today's show, so make sure you listen to this. And if you've got a minute, connect with her on LinkedIn and visit her website. We're going to put those links in the show notes, so make sure you check that out. As always, if you get a chance to write a nice five-star review for our show, and if you hear some good ideas from Jen today, make sure you give her some credit and mention her by name also. As always, this episode and this show is sponsored by Leopard Solutions' legal intelligence suite of products, Firmscape and Leopard BI. Push ahead of the pack with the power of Leopard. And now, here's Jen Johnson. Hey, this is Scott Love. Thanks for joining me on the Rainmaking Podcast. My guest is a good friend of mine, Jen Johnson, joining me talking today about how to best utilize your firm's marketing team. Jen, this is great. I'm glad to have you on the show. Thank you for the invitation. It's always a pleasure to get to have the chance to chat with you. Absolutely. And for those of you that are listening, Jen and I have known each other for a while. She actually owns a company that recruits people in the business development and marketing and marketing support revenue enablers for law firms all over the world. And she's an expert on marketing. And we're going to start with some definitions here, Jen. Tell us about simple definitions. When people hear marketing, they might think that's the same as business development or sales or other things related to that. How would we parse those apart? How would we give some clear definitions so we know what we're talking about here? Yeah, it's a good question. And I always like to start with that, just to level set and make sure that we're all speaking the same language. And, you know, most lawyers by training are not marketing professionals. Most of them didn't have the marketing classes. And until very recently, marketing BD, the business of law wasn't even part of a law firm or a law school curriculum, right? And so I do just like to to kind of go there just to make sure we're all on the same page. So, So business development is fueled by marketing. So business development is the act of targeting and planning. And the marketing is what brings the plan to life. So marketing is events and it's website, it's advertising, it's digital, it's PR, it's all of the various components that bring a plan to life to make business development come true. Got it, got it. Yeah. 
So in law firms, then let's talk about the different roles of people that you've seen within the firms. How would we define all those? Does a firm usually have a director of marketing, a director of business development, or are they kind of all combined in that same role? Yeah. So it depends on the firm size. So if we're talking about smaller firms, and in my world, small is really under 100 lawyers, 150 lawyers, small in the space that you and I can float in. Mm -hmm. Um, But usually we see 40 lawyers being the threshold of when you need a marketing person. And I'm just going to use for our chat today, the word marketing, all-encompassing marketing, business development, communications, just so I don't have to say all the words. (laughs) So 40 lawyers is really like the threshold for where you really need to think about professionalizing that. It's just enough cats to be herded that they won't get herded unless there's somebody that's there kind of joining everyone together. Right. So typically at that level, you need one person and maybe some outside consulting help. Once you get up to several hundred lawyers, you start seeing teams of five to 10 people, the thousand lawyer firms, some of them have a hundred people. So it really sort of depends on their strategy and their frankly buy-in to marketing and how complex their strategy is. And those are still shifting and changing, but you see some at the, some of the bigger firms, you'll see most of these AMLAW 200, I would say about 70% of them do have a chief marketing officer with some sort of iteration of the title, the chief being the commonality. And then the rest would have a director at the top. And then underneath would be vertical leads so under that head of marketing, first share person would be a business development director and then a marketing director and then maybe a communications director. And right. then it kind of funnels out underneath that. And so let me ask you this then, and I appreciate that clarity in the organizational structure. What drives strategy? Is that coming from that chief marketing officer or is it coming from the chair of the firm? What's really the driver of defining that strategy of the firm's marketing and business development efforts? Well, in an ideal scenario, it would be a conversation amongst everybody that are holding leadership roles at a firm, right? It would Mm -hmm. be, you know, who do we want to be? Who are we? Who do we want to be if it's different than who we are? How do we get there? How do we make the most amount of money with the least amount of effort? How do we, uh, what do we want to be known for? What do we, (laughs) right? right? What do we not want to be known for? How do our people experience working here, which plays into brand, which oftentimes is not lined up externally and internal, like right what you're saying externally is a lot of times not consistent what the people feel when they actually work there. And so in an ideal scenario, it would be a collaborative, iterative conversation, but in the practicality in the real world, it's typically partner driven. Mm -hmm. where they decide what they want and then it is more mandated on what you need to do or get it done however you get it done. So we are seeing it shift where the C-suite across the board, not just the marketing folks, but the talent folks and the finance team, et cetera, are being brought into the conversation and really appreciated for the value and the expertise that they bring to the table, right, with their own background and training. Whereas it used to be more common that there would be a room full of lawyers who made decisions and then would issue marching orders. It's definitely shifting now where that expertise is being brought in proactively and appreciated. And it's amazing to see. That's great. I think that's a good trend. So let's say the person listening to this is a partner. He or she has a successful practice and they want to grow it. How can they best utilize their internal staff to help them reach their 
business development and marketing goals? Well, one thing that I will say is that there is no one-size-fits-all approach to business development. You know this. I know this as business owners and, and entrepreneurs. And if I think about it in that way, you know, individual rainmakers inside of a law firm, they're individual entrepreneurs, right? They, they have their mm-hmm. own styles and own approaches and own expertise. And so there isn't a one-size-all-fits model. And I think it depends on the level of expertise you have on your marketing team and knowing how and when to activate them. But the first thing I would do is ask them for a meeting and explain to them, you know, if your tail is tingling and you think there's an opportunity for something, explain to them what you think the opportunity is work with them and engage them on on figuring out what the ideal client has been for you and what you might want to do more of with those particular clients and which clients you might want to start distancing yourself from. Mm-hmm. But really understanding what the profile is, that persona of your ideal client, current state, and then the persona of the clients that you want in your future state. And what is that expertise? And and what do you want to be known for? And how do you plan to do that? Maybe you enjoy speaking engagements. Maybe you do writing. Maybe you're great at talking to the media. There's various ways that you can go about giving your expertise into the world. And it's about customizing that for what you need and want. So you've got to figure out, you know, you've got to plan You need to know market insights and intel about what your competitors are doing, who you're up against. You need to understand what your differentiator is. And you've got to have a plan for communicating your expertise out into Mm -hmm. the ethos. You've got to do targeted segmentation. You've got to measure it, measure if it's working or not. So set some key KPIs in advance and learn and be okay with failing quickly. If something isn't working, stop doing it quickly. I mean, if we could just rewind what you've said over the last 10 minutes, that could actually be the basis of a 30-day seminar (laughs) that we could put on because how deep does that rabbit hole go, right? So It, It is a deep, deep, deep rabbit hole. And the hard part with, I think, the biggest challenge of most sea level professionals or vertical leads, whatever the title is, in a law firm is that they're dealing with multiple owners. And it's not just a marketing problem, but everybody's, you know, priorities are different, but everybody feels as if their priorities are the most priority, right? The (laughs) biggest priority. And so figuring out how to deal with that, um, getting consensus and buy-in is very difficult. Yeah, absolutely. And what do you think are some of the pitfalls between partners, or I wouldn't say pitfalls, but let's say the disconnects. From your experience, because you've been plugged in, you've been very involved in the Legal Marketing Association. You're on the inside of law firms every day. Mm -hmm. And what have you heard from them complaining about their partners that they wish their partners would do differently? What are some of the things that you've heard in that regard? I think some of it's the clash of the generations. So I think at this point, I heard a stat a few weeks ago that there's like three, if not four generations hanging around in some of these law firms, three generations, where you've got people who, you know, can't be bothered with the bells and whistles. And then you've got people who were brought along by that generation who have adapted a little bit, but not that much. And then you've got the new ones who want everything to move differently and more quickly and more efficiently. And all of that is clashing. And I think that's a big part of it. Another part of it is, well, if I'm a rainmaker, let's say my name's on the door or I'm a leader, a practice leader or something inside of my firm, 
I've developed relative success and the word relative is important in this conversation, but I've, I've been successful. Why would I do anything differently? Mm-hmm. What's in it for me to want to change something or to work harder a little bit to make more money? right? What's in it for me? What's the value proposition? And so I, I think that you see a lot of, of partner tension in that way. And that it's one thing to do it for myself, but then it's another thing for it to benefit others. And then how am I going to be compensated for that? So I think comp systems <laughs> is a big issue as it relates to marketing and business development. There are some very large firms that don't have partner origination credit. It's not part of their comp system, as you know. <laughs> and that really does allow for more of a cross-selling culture, right? right. A firm right. client culture, a us mis- mentality. When you build in the origination credit, that's when it starts getting much more tricky on top mm-hmm. of an already, you know, adversarial environment. Right? right. So, I mean, even though we're partners, it doesn't mean necessarily mean partners in that Webster dictionary sense. It means, you know, collective co-op, you know, type environment where we share resources, but it's hard when it's a what's in it for me mentality that's rolling through the culture. That's right. So if a partner is working with their marketing team, what should be expectations in terms of accountability? Can they hold them accountable? Can they do anything to make sure that results are achieved? Absolutely. One of the things that, you know, I've seen happen time and time again, and we in our consulting practice are really working to counteract this, but you'll probably, those of you in larger firms with bigger marketing teams, probably maybe receive an annual report of the marketing team's activities. Mm -hmm. And that's lovely. And it's usually really well done. It looks great. That's what they do. They're marketing people and it's graphically, you know, appealing, visually appealing. The problem with that though, is it's a list of activities. And in my mind, I'm like, so what? What's so? Okay. You did all the things. You're very, very busy. But what did that drive any dollars into the door? You know, the average law firm pays two to three percent of its gross revenue into the marketing budget. What is that doing? If you're spending hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars on marketing, what have you done for me lately? What does that mean? So how do you hold them accountable? So it's a tricky thing because in the law firm, the sales force are the partners. And so in many instances, you know, it's hard to tie back the marketing activities, but it's all about tracking every action that happens in a marketing department back to a strategy, right? So whether it's an individual partner strategy or a practice strategy or an industry strategy or the firm strategy, everything has to tie back or we need to not be doing it. And really, I mean, we've seen it where firms are now, marketing departments are able to look at proposal and influenced revenue. So they can say, okay, over the last 12 months, for the partners who chose to use our services to help them prepare a proposal, they were 38% more likely to win Mm. at a 15% higher margin. Those are the data points that you can go back to as ammunition. Lawyers love evidence, right? So if you can say to them, you know, you're more likely to win at a higher margin if you work with our team. But that means, by the way, there's boundaries and rules. You can't get it to us the night before. If you want us to help you win bigger and more often, then we need, there's a process and it takes weeks to get this thing right. So they're not, you know, magic wand people. They have their own processes and 
And it's part of it's them, the marketing folks needing to put some boundaries in. Here's what services we provide. If you give us something the day before, we're not going to be able to do it at the level that you're hoping. I think that's great. And so everything you said, I think is fantastic. And I like the way you talked about, here's the evidence that marketing people should track to show. Work with us, we'll help you achieve these results. And this is how we know it's going to happen. So tell me a story of a firm, and you don't have to mention the firm's name, of course, but where you saw a high-performing, highly functional marketing team with good leadership and effective strategy, and the execution was seamless and at a high level with the partnership, and they achieved significant results. Tell me about a story like that. Yeah, it's really interesting because in theory, you know, as you're running CMO place uh, searches or COO searches, in the roles that those positions sit in, you would, in theory, think that they would have stories about how they were able to help influence revenue, more higher revenue, or make a change of some sort. So there's there's a couple of stories. I mean, I know a couple of CMOs whose managing partners and executive committees make zero moves without talking with them first about what, what did we miss? How should we be looking at this? Do we have the right perspectives in the room? Building pitch teams, building you know, messaging that there's a ton of marketing people that are out and client facing and doing these feedback interviews and making sure that the services that we provide, are they, is it going well? You know, how are we billing you? Does that feel okay? What are the other services that we could provide to you that we can give to you without billing you for it, right? To be a, more of a business partner. So that's the things that they're doing, really trying to add more value to the relationship to strengthen it. But, you know, demonstrable results. I have seen firms develop key client accounts and it takes time, but when they do it, they go much, much deeper. There's instances where you can see a 20% higher penetration in matter, both in terms of numbers of matters, but also in dollars in the door because of a focused key account methodology put into place, right? right? So these are the things, and it's not, it never happens whole skill. You got to start with the coalition of the willing and, you know, there's always a, a pocket. Every firm has pockets, right? Of people who will play along, lawyers who will play along. So it's about finding them, capitalizing on that, and then sharing those wins, right? In ways that other partners can receive. Oh, that's interesting. I'd like some of that. I want to win too. And it's about sharing it and ripple affecting it that way. That's great. And I like the fact that you said, find those people that are supporters that want to pitch in, that want to help out. Start with that, build a case study. Now you've got a story that you can sell to other people. Because when you said that a lot of the partners, they're really self-employed, yeah, they kind of are. And I think when you look at the organization of a law firm, one thing I learned early on was that a law firm is nothing more than a collective of peers held together only by conditional promises to each other. And it can fall apart pretty quickly. You've got to have that cohesive leadership. And I think when a firm builds story after story after story of teamwork, people working together, the trust increases, then they're more likely to go to that staff person and say, help me out. You know, Scott, that's where we have to go. This industry has to go in a team-oriented mentality going forward. And it's going to take a while to change this because, again, lawyers have been trained to be adversarial, to be, to mm-hmm. be the ones who know the answer, the individual that figures it yeah. out. And the team mentality has to happen, not only 
for the future of the workplace and the, and the future of how technology is going to converge and the alternative legal service providers, but also for the talent that you can attract. So not just the lawyers, but if firms continue to want top quality people in their accounting department or their marketing department or their talent group or their IT teams, they're going to have to promote a like actually live a culture that's authentically team oriented. What you see so often is an external brand message that is team collaborate, yada, yada. And then inside, it's not like that at all. And that doesn't just go for the lawyers. It goes for the staff as well. And a law firm is only as good as the support staff it has in place. And I think there's a, a dismissal of the need for high quality support professionals. And I think it's short-sighted people who don't see the value of all of the assets that and are I think, crucial. I agree with you. And I think that comes from the top. It comes from the leadership and the message mm-hmm. that they give to people and the way that they lead and the way they treat their support staff. I remember I had this one partner that the interview lasted only 15 minutes. And I got a call from my client that said, we're not interested in your candidate. I said, why is that? They said, he got out of the elevator. He was in a huff and a puff. And he said some rude, disrespectful comments to one of the staff people who got upset and then told the hiring partner and that meeting was over quick. And that's Absolutely. one of my favorite Good. Good on, that. Firm on an exclusive basis now because of that's the quality awesome. of leadership that they had. And that's, that's the amazing. thing I saw. We, we look for that too, all the time. We look for, you know, as we're pitching work or talking with firms, whatever scenario might be, how do they treat us, you know, yeah. as potential service provider partners? Like if you treat us poorly, I'm not inclined to do business. That's exactly right. And that's what I've seen as well. And I can always tell when I've got a high-functioning staff person that I'm talking to that's enthusiastic about the firm, that's a tell. If I have somebody that's not communicative to me, that doesn't make recruiting a priority, that's a tell also. That firm isn't going to do very well. If there's a problem in one area, it probably exists in other areas in that organization. So yeah. that's the end of And I want to say this summer. too, as it, yeah, as it relates to marketing, recruiting is marketing. Yeah, that's right. Hello. So to the extent that, again, when I went going back to when we first started talking about the collaborative nature, the recruiting, the people that are recruiting your lawyers and your business professionals should be in regular conversations with your marketing team. Mm -hmm. I mean, and your marketing professionals, part of a business development plan for a practice is talent. I mean, and that's, so recruiting is marketing. And if those groups are not collaborating, that's a huge red flag. I wouldn't allow it if I was yeah. a business owner. I wouldn't allow our team not to collaborate. I would expect it. Right. That's right. And tell me about the members of the team. You talk about revenue enablers. And, and what I want you to do is talk a little bit more about your practice in a little bit. But what does that mean, a revenue enabler? Well, so in the law firm setting, the lawyers are the revenue generators. And typically it's the lawyers and the non-lawyers, right? The non-lawyer is usually used in a pejorative way. And so we've really tried very hard to think of alternative ways uh, to address people who are not lawyers. And so we came up with this catchphrase, revenue enablers. So the lawyers bring the money in the door, make the money, bill the hours, but everybody else on the business side are enabling that revenue to be in the door, come in the door. And so... I always give this example of, of all of your humans are an asset. And if if you don't understand that the person you pay a salary to 
to organize the napkins in the conference room so that your clients have an experience with your brand that's positive and you disregard them as being part of the cycle of selling your your services, that's a problem. I mean, right. if you're paying that person money to do a job, they are indeed an asset. Mm-hmm. And so they are enabling you to have your clients have the experience you want them to have by having the napkins in the right way and the coffee is hot. Do you know what I mean? That's mm-hmm. a very mm-hmm. basic example. But if you had, you know, people who couldn't do math in your accounting department, that's a problem. But you have people who are very smart at what they do and appreciating the fact that they get your bills out the door and they collect the money. I think we're just missing something here. And so we like to say revenue enablers are the the core. And if you don't have the best possible functioning team of revenue enablers, your business is going to suffer. Yeah, that's right. And tell me, as we bring our conversation to a close here, Jan, if you could summarize and maybe give us three action steps that someone listening to this can take to really maximize the potential of their team. What would those three action steps be? So the first one is I would, depending on you know your position at your firm, but I would call a meeting of your vertical leads on the business side and ask, you know, set an agenda and say it's a collaboration meeting. And that your expectation is that they will collaborate, have the meeting and ask them what they're working on together and see what happens. And really just starting setting that precedent that collaboration is not optional Mm -hmm. and and just see kind of what you get and, and then start holding regular meetings with the business people to see what they're up to and then hold them accountable for that. As it relates to marketing and business development, I would certainly call the person or email and set an appointment with the person who is assigned to your practice or industry, et cetera, and just ask them if there's anything that they see that they could be doing to enhance your business development efforts, ask them some specific questions and see what you can elicit from them. Mm -hmm. And if you don't wind up having a conversation that you want to continue with that person, then I might think about potentially making a change because there are 100% people out there who should perk your ears up when they're talking about their expertise, which is marketing and business development and how they can help you. So what's our third step here? Our third step is a good one. I like to step outside of the law firm land bubble and do some reading about successful businesses that are similar to the practice of law. So I will tell you that PwC, Deloitte, Accenture, KPMG, they all do a really, really great job of holding both C-suite surveys, but then panel discussions, et cetera, once a year to see what's on the mind of their clients. And so they do it with the Fortune 1000. And so these are general counsel. These are CEOs, CFOs of the clients of law firms talking about what's on their mind and what's keeping them up at night and what they see as the trends. And so going and just absorbing some of that information instead of necessarily looking next door at what the law firm next door is doing, I think is something I would encourage. I think that's innovative because most law firms I've noticed are like, hey, what's that other firm doing? We should be doing that. Right. That's Absolutely. And so it's, it's, listen, it's an endemic of race to second. Nobody wants to be first. Let's yeah. all see what everybody else is doing and then let's all do it. But well, I think looking on the outside is definitely the way to keep your business pushed forward in a lucrative way. 
I think that's a healthy concept. And tell us then about what your company does. What are the offerings that you have that you'd like for people listening to know about? Sure. So Calibrate is known for placing uh, revenue enablers, so executive search on the business side of the house. So anybody that would run your business, vertical leads, marketing, HR, talent, DEI, finance, et cetera. And then we also do consulting. So organizational development consulting. We do consulting as it uh, relates to governance models and how partnership agreements are set up and then how the business stuff side support the business, right. uh, the partnership agreements. So it's really aligning the people, the processes, and the technologies to uh, help the business push the business forward. That's great, Jen. Well, we're going to put all of your contact information on our show notes. So those people listening, if they want to reach out to you, they'll be able to go there and connect with you directly. Thank you so much for being with here with me today. And we're going to have you back on the show in the near future. You've got some great ideas. And I know we've just kind of covered the surface of that right now, Jen. I would welcome it. And I appreciate you for inviting me. That sounds great. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Rainmaking Podcast. For more information about our recruiting services for international law firms, visit our website at attorneysearchgroup.com. To inquire about having Scott speak at your next convention, conference, sales meeting, or executive retreat, visit therainmakingpodcast.com.